Hello, welcome to the Parental Advisory Movie Podcast with myself, Patrick Terry, and the creator of the podcast, co creator. Co creator. Good job, buddy. Okay. It's weird, isn't it, having to do that for the first time? Yeah, a little weird, yeah. but cool. <laughs> Switching it up every now and then is kind of fresh. Keeping it fresh. 55 episodes in, we're keeping it fresh. Yeah. All right. Hi. How's it going? Hi. All right. How are you? <laughs> uh, it's Monday. Yeah, it is. It's definitely that. And um, Third day of August, level eight of Jumanji. <laughs> yeah. Good night. Good night, moon. Yeah. Third, the uh, the next Jumanji movie apparently is going to just be a documentary. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think whenever everything kind of goes away, eventually, <laughs> someone had, I think there's going to be a multitude of the pop of the global population that just holds up something to the sun and yells Jumanji. <laughs> that's, what I, that's how I feel like it's the final thing. Well, it's one thing we haven't tried yet. <laughs> I'm sure somebody has. Yeah. Just give it a whirl. It's like, man, it still hasn't worked. Dang it. Son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, mercy, man. Uh, yeah, man. Um, school starts tomorrow. Ah. Air quotes. Um, audio medium. Air quotes. Um, school starts tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, that's something. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, uh, York had his open house virtually. Um, no, he didn't actually virtually have it. He really actually had it, but he had it on the computer and, um, <laughs> I had him actually do it in here Yeah, I because, <laughs> yeah, because there's actually pretty good lighting <laughs> in here right? as opposed to, he was in the playroom, you know, playing Fortnite with his buddies <clears throat> and I was setting up in there and the lighting just wasn't as good and his the one the lighting in his room isn't bad, but I'm like, you know what? Just go in the other room. Look, like, just set it up. And I even told him, I said, man, if you want to use this to do your homework and stuff, mm-hmm. or for whenever you had to be on camera with your teacher, dude, just come on in here. I don't care. So unless I'm recording, then you know you have to use your room. Um, all right, sorry, can't share space then. Um, but yeah, so his teacher seems super nice and. Um, yeah, they get started tomorrow at eight o'clock. So should be interesting. Indeed. Yeah. So yeah. Um, my daughter got some of her classes. Um, uh, some of them I'm not sure how they're gonna do like band. I don't know how they're gonna do that remotely, but unless they do it lecture form mostly and maybe have like right. a Zoom meeting where everybody plays. That would be interesting. That would be yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um Yeah. Because somehow they're still going to do PE. Not sure how, hmm. but somehow York is still having PE. So okay. they're watching videos, I guess, posted by by his uh, teacher. So I guess probably had to do certain exercises and probably talk right. about nutrition, I'm sure. And okay. just uh, maybe they'll meditate. Who the hell knows? <laughs> I think that's going to be then more it would for the be That'll be more for the teachers than it will be anybody else. Right. Mental education. Yeah. Yeah. At least they get get a chance to be creative with things. We'll see how that works out. Yeah. And if you have kids out there, please go easy on their teachers. They're they're having to struggle just as much as as everybody else. 
because this is all new to them. You know, as somebody that taught for a year um, and has a brother that teaches and friends that teach, please go easy on them. They're doing the best they can, just like you're going to be doing the best you can. We're all in this together as parents, as teachers, as a as people just trying to make it make it through the day and just know that it's going to be hard on the kids as well. So just go easy on them. Um, help them as much as you can, you know, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be something. But I, I think it'll wind up being better than what most people expect. Yeah, because it'll probably go easy, kind of ease into things. I mean, hell, York's. Last, I mean, most of his spring semester was online, anyways. And, you know, basically having to do a lot of this. So I think, so I think it'll be an easy transition. Right. Uh, of course, right now they're just planning on going into, uh, I guess, right now for Nashville, at least Metro Nashville is virtual until Labor Day. But I don't think anybody's holding their breath that they're, you know, for anything else other than that. So. Yeah. I guess we'll see. Oh, and Grayson had uh, auditions for a team, for a dance team. Okay. Um, she made it on the the line. She made a line, which is all the ages. Um, <clears throat> she made duos again. Her and same girl, Karis, are doing their duo. And then she made, uh, Lord, I'm going to remember this. I'm going to forget this because it's long. I gotta look it up. Give me just one second. Because even my mom's like, what does that even mean? I'm like, I have no idea. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, large group, petite slash junior, contemporary, and small group, petite. So those are her two. <coughs> okay. So now she has four dances instead of two. So she's very excited because she'll be able to do more dances for one and also she'll be able to do dances with the uh with the older girls you know more dances with the older girls so so yeah that's uh and then i've watched a bunch of movies (laughs) that's and then dealing with shenanigans at work cheeky or otherwise yeah um that's what that's basically what we're dealing with here so yeah um see last episode i mentioned that i was going to be fixing my ps4 controller oh yeah, yeah how'd that work that was a success. Good job, man. So I got the, the circuit board in, I think, Wednesday, but I waited till uh, Saturday and opened it up. I think there's a piece that I may have broken, but it still works, so it's still a win. Okay. But um, I placed the circuit board, got it back together, tested it out, and everything works. Everything that was working before still works, and everything that wasn't working what works. <laughs> works now. Even That's plus. Yep. And then I modded my PS Vita so I can kind of do things with it, do more things with it as far as the games I add to it. Okay. Cool, and, and that's that's pretty much it. You know, same normal work week, but nothing else exciting. Yeah. We watched, uh, for anybody else that cares or watches hockey, we, <clears throat> we watched the uh, National Predators hockey game yesterday. Mm-hmm. So they're having to play because it's the playoffs. They're playing all the games in Canada okay. because currently there's a travel ban for the U.S. So, yeah, because we suck. 
<laughs> um, we can't get our we can't get the virus under control here. Um, so they got special permission to let players travel to Canada, and uh, they're essentially, I think uh, Ruth said there's four different arenas where the where they're having the games, <clears throat> the playoff games. No fans, so that was interesting to watch. <clears throat> and um, there was almost a fight during the game, but they broke it up, and I'm like, this is so not good. <laughs> I, was no. like, I was like, come on, fools. <laughs> if you're going to fight, fight. I think they had to do fights like they do, like they have like sword fights, mm-hmm. like medieval Use sword fights. If you're going to fight, fight with hockey sticks. Yeah. There you go. You got the padding. I mean, six feet worst away, case scenario. Yeah, worst case scenario, that, then the edge might go through the mass, but still... Distance. So we'll punch to the face, but hey, yeah, <laughs> that's my that's my solution to that, I guess. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it, I mean, Preds lost, but they only lost by one. But the uh, yeah, so hockey's back, so that's interesting. I haven't watched the NBA. Baseball a weird a too. <clears throat> Baseball's a little bit of a debacle at the moment. Yeah. So yeah, uh, base, you know, basketball's weird. You know, no, you know, somebody dunks is not really crowd reaction like you're used to. Yeah. And then, of course, with baseball, they've got their cutout cardboard fans in the mm-hmm. dugout. I'm like, that's just yes, weird. They had, uh, the Dodgers had, um, so there's this comedian that passed away um, a year or two back. His name was uh, Brody Stevens. Funny, funny dude. Very positive. You know, he would always say, you know, positive energy. Yes. You know, and mm-hmm. is very happy dude. Love playing the drums. Always kept a pair of drumsticks in his back pocket yeah. wherever he went because you never know when you might want to play. So um, he was on Doug Love's movies. He's been on some other podcast, other comedy podcasts that I listen to. And it uh, it just uh, huge Dodgers fan. And it was great because they uh, they went to. Uh, they during the Dodgers game, they zoomed in during the commercial on one of the cardboards, and it was somebody had bought a cardboard cutout of Brody. And it was wow. awesome. So, so all my, you know, a lot of the comedians posted the picture of it, you know, the screenshot of it, and and everything. And it just kind of like he's one of those people I've never met, but I've appreciated him, like because he's just so pot, like he's just so happy, like all the time. Yeah, and just such a positive influence, and um, he had. Uh, but I guess he was battling his own demons and and uh, I guess really actually was suffering from depression and ended up committing suicide. And it's just, you know, just one of those tough things. And yeah. anytime I either hear him or see, you know, see him on something, dude, I do. I get I tear up a little bit because I was just like, oh, my God, that's such a loss. And I was like, I've never even met the guy and I still get kind of choked up about it. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Dodgers game, they had that cardboard cut out. I thought that was really awesome. Nice little, you know, and the fact that they zoomed in for, you know, during a commercial break, I thought that was, right. cause they knew how much, you know, how important what all he did too, as a fan for the Dodgers to kind of spread goodwill about it. So, yeah. all right, man, let's get into it. We got a, we got a, uh, packed, <laughs> packed episode. All righty. So <clears throat> I'll start off. First piece of uh, media, um, I watched the movie Force of Nature. Okay. Uh, it came out June 30th of uh, this year. 
It's 91 minutes, so it's at that sweet spot time. Yep. Um, <clears throat> it is an iTunes and Fandango Now rental. Okay. Uh, the director is Michael Polish. Had a budget of $23 million. But as far as the gross, it only brought in oh, oh, like just under 150000 So it must have been like really limited release at one point. Okay. Uh, you got uh, a... <clears throat> Starring Emil Hirsch, uh, Stephanie Kao. They're playing Cadillo and Jess. They're basically like officers in the movie. They're partners. Uh, you have Kate Bosworth as Troy, which I thought was an interesting name. Yep. Uh, Mel Gibson as Ray, her mother, um, daughter, father combo. Then you have David uh, Zayas, plays uh, John the Baptist. Uh, first time I saw him in something was uh, the Dexter series. He played oh. Batista. <laughs> oh. So. There you go. Not too far from that name there. Uh, but the basic premise is you have a hurricane coming into Puerto Rico that's closing in on being a Category 5. Mm-hmm. And these two officers are have the responsibility of evacuating a building that still has people refusing to leave. Okay. And then along with that, you have a gang of thieves that have planned a heist that are in that same building. A hurricane heist? So, yeah, it takes place. Yeah, I guess you might as well call it that. It takes place during a hurricane, so same uh, <laughs> but like I said, uh, Cardio and Jess are officers paired up, and they have the responsibility of evacuating the building. And there's you have a landlord, you have an old old man, and then a retired cop. And they have to go and get them to leave because they refuse to leave. And <clears throat> along the way, they come across a they get a call. And they respond to a call where this man is pretty much hoarding all the the meat from the meat department, trying to get a hundred pounds of meat. He likes his meat. Yeah. But um, <laughs> when they he get there, <laughs> when they get there, he explains he has to feed his pet. And it takes a lot of meat. Like, what kind of animal do you have that takes 100 pounds of meat? Which they never really explain there. But they, they take him in and they say, well, look, we got to still clear this building. He just happens to live at that building. So he's like, hey, since you're going there, let me feed my pet. And then whatever we got to do, I'll do it. So when they get there. He goes in, feed his pet, and then they start trying to clear everybody out. So the first uh, apartment they go to has Troy and Ray, Mel Gibson, and uh, Kate Bosworth. Mm -hmm. So we first see Ray. He's just sitting in his chair, like, you know, I guess just being a stubborn old old man, not wanting to leave. Mm -hmm. And But he needs dialysis. He's coughing like he's sick or whatever. And so he's just being a real stubborn about leaving so cardio and troy they leave jess to talk to him try to convince him to leave while they go get the old man and the old man's a little more you know willing to go but while they're doing that the cop as you see is shown in the trailer he comes across the landlord being shot by the the gang so that's what kind of sets things in motion for them to have to get you know trying to get out but Apparently, there's $55 million that's stashed in the building that they're trying to get. The gang is. Okay. And, um, but that's it. I mean, like as far as the trailer, like when I watched the trailer, I was like, okay, this doesn't... I, I thought it was going to be kind of a mess, mm-hmm. but it's not terrible. And I, I'd say just because it's, you know, COVID season, that it kind of benefits from COVID what's going season. on. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of benefits being released the, the way it is and because... Um, I was reading it. It was, I think, number three on iTunes and number five on Fandango the first week. Yeah. So 
And then the next week, I think now had a had a higher rating on that, and then it kind of dropped on iTunes. But it definitely benefited from the quarantine stuff. Yeah, and a lot of people were watching. A um, couple other notes. Let's see. Oh yeah, so they show Gibson's Ray as being kind of sickly, needing dialysis. But then later, yeah. his cop instincts kick in, where he just starts, you know, I guess channeling his inner Riggs, <laughs> I guess. Oh, of course. <laughs> but I mean, not not necessarily to that level, but you know, you just kind yeah. of think like, okay, if he's sick, how is he able to do some of this stuff? But right. Okay. Um, the trailer does make the movie look a little better. Well, now the trailer. Try to think it's going to be a dumpster fire, but the movie itself is not terrible. Okay. Um, let's see. Yeah. I mean, it has a cool, a couple of cool action scenes, but um, a couple of moments where you're like, okay, I guess physics doesn't matter here. And, but overall, you know, it's one of those movies where if you're at home, you want something to put in the background, it's a cool movie to put in the background. Okay. Not, not terrible. Um, <clears throat> then the next movie is an animated movie out of Korea. Okay. And apparently, it came out last year, uh, July twenty fifth. Also has a runtime of about ninety one minutes, and it's called Red Shoes and the Seven Dwarfs. All right. Um, so it's basically a different take on the Snow White and Seven Dwarfs story. The director is Sung Ho Hong. Um, it managed to do a worldwide gross of uh, seven point six million. Okay. So, you know, did well, pretty well there in Korea. Like, yeah. Yeah, so it did pretty well there. <laughs> um, so, it takes place in Fairytale Island. And when it starts off, we have seven princes who save a um, uh, let's see, fairy. Princesses. Hold on. What was they, what they call her? Okay, they, they save a fairy princess. But anyway, these seven princes are they're they're given the nickname the Fearless Seven. So okay. they save this fairy princess, but when they go when they see her, they see her face is green, so they kind of think that she's a witch, and then they attack her. So of course she doesn't appreciate that, so she curses them. And the curse is whenever somebody looks at them, they look like green dwarfs. Okay. But throughout the movie, if you see the dwarfs by themselves, they look like they're regular. Form, but as soon as somebody comes in the picture, they shrink back down to green dwarfs. It's kind of weird. <laughs> it's kind of weird looking at it because um, one of them's in a room by himself. We see his normal self. I'm like, okay. So I didn't know if they were just showing us that just so we see what they look like. Right. But literally, when somebody walked in the room, shrunk back down to whatever the curse was. I'm just like, okay, it's okay. a little odd. Um, <clears throat> so you have. In order for them to break this curse, they must receive a kiss from the most beautiful woman in the world. Of um, <laughs> right. But then you have, uh, in the fairy kingdom, you have King White, who marries a beautiful woman named Regina. But soon after, starts to notice some weird things happening, like people disappearing. And he starts to suspect that she's behind it. And so he feels like... With all these people missing, that he might be next, and maybe something happened to his daughter Snow. So what he does is he advises her to leave the kingdom so nothing happens to her. But okay. when she leaves, he ends up disappearing. So <clears throat> okay. let's see. 
And then the thing is with Queen Regina, she's trying to maintain a youthful look, you know, to look yeah. beautiful. Otherwise, she's going to look old and decrepit. Yeah. So the secret with this is she has this magical tree that grows these special apples that takes the form of red shoes, where when she wears them, she'll look beautiful. But every time she tries it, it doesn't hold. Like, she'll have that temporary, oh, she looks good, and it just fades. <laughs> Weird. So eventually, Snow White returns to the castle, trying to find clues to, that'll maybe lead her to find her father. And she comes across this very same tree. Difference is, when she puts these shoes on, her look changes. Now, her look previously, she's like overweight, kind of chunky, but she's really over. She's real confident. Like, she's not, yeah. it's not like, oh, down on how she looks. Right. Her main thing in this movie is trying to find her father. Gotcha. But Regina comes in, catches the woman, not knowing who it is, and Snow gets a, basically a, a broom and flies out of the building <laughs> and then crash, and later crash lands into the um, the prince's shed. And so they go in, they hear, it's kind of like a, I guess, um, go to the Three Bears moment where they notice somebody's in the house. They go in oh, and yeah. try to attack her. And they're like, hey, witch, what you doing here? So she, But she turns around, and it's this beautiful woman, and they're just smitten by her. And so they're like, oh, she's beautiful. So I guess we can try to woo her and you know get her to kiss us so we can break this curse. And that's pretty much their motivation in the movie to help her find her father. And then the reward is that. Um, <clears throat> so they didn't really make, you know, draw attention to her previous look or make her become conceited or whatever. Like she, at well, first she's not even aware that she looks how she looks until she looks in the mirror and she's like, Oh, she's confused. Like she doesn't know what happened. She doesn't yeah. know that the shoes made her look like that. But, um, I, I do believe it. Like it's an interesting twist on the story. And yeah, it sounds like it. The fact that it's out of Korea. I was like, I was expecting to have subtitles and to be reading that and hear it in a different language, but no, it's straight up English all the way around. Huh. Okay. Um, let's see. So some of the voice actors you have Chloe Grace Moretz as Snow, mm -hmm. and of course Kick Ass, Kick Ass Two, and other movies. Oh yeah. Uh, Sam Claflin as Merlin. Okay. Gina Gina Gershon as Regina. Uh, Patrick Warburton as the Magic Mirror. Nice. He wasn't as, he wasn't as funny as I was because I heard the voice. Like, oh be. man. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was just kind of disappointed. I mean, he did good, but yeah, it yeah. just wasn't, wasn't the same. Same flair. Um, three of the Fearless Seven, their names are kind of plays on other characters. So you have these kind of triplet dwarfs. Um, it's a play on Pinocchio's name. Um, one is named Pino. Second one is Noki. And then the last one is Kyo. So Pinocchio. Oh, darn, not Pino and then Grigio. And... <laughs> <laughs> right. Blanc. <laughs> Right. And then um, you have Merlin. They kind of remind me of the Avengers a little bit because one carried a shield. Yeah. And then a little bit of X-Men because one threw uh, cards like Gambit. Oh, okay. And then one looked like he kind of had a, a cloak of invisibility like Harry Potter. Gotcha. And one was pretty. And then the three, the three twins, three triplets rather. They kind of remind me of Iron Man because they were always tinkering with stuff and building yeah. giant robotic things. So, but it was cool. They made kind of references to other Disney princesses like Rapunzel, yeah. uh, Sleeping Beauty, Ariel. So, but overall, overall, it's a good kid movie. I think Grayson may like it. Okay. I think it'd be a good What's one this, for her. Uh, what platform is it on? 
Um, that's interesting. I watched this on my Fire Stick, so I don't know this one. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I just kind of kind of came across it on there. Okay. But um, you could probably find it on. Okay. Probably, you probably find it on the main. You know. Okay. I'm good to work. Yeah. Um. Okay. Cool. And then the last thing I talked about briefly, I managed to watch the new anime from Netflix, uh, Transformers: War for Cybertron trilogy. But this is part one, entitled Siege. And it released Thursday, July 30th. <clears throat> so just to speak briefly, it's six episodes. And okay. each episode is about 20 plus minutes each. So it's a quick, quick watch. It's like three hours total. Yeah. And it really did feel like it was just a long three-hour movie. A three-hour movie, but it didn't feel long. Right. But, you know, they could have just released it like, you as know. one. Yeah. It just says one. It would have worked. Well, it probably did it because uh, it's probably more... I mean, I would assume it's aimed more for towards kids, and that's why they did it episodic instead of a feature. And this is just part one. They have two more parts. I don't know when they're going to release it, but I'm ready for it. Okay. Um, so you have War Torn Cybertron, and of course Autobots and Decepticons are battling out over their own version of freedom. Yeah. Uh, and but then what's different is not every Transformer on the planet has chosen a side. You know, no. you still have some that are kind of in between, just kind of sur- trying to survive without getting in the yeah. middle of that mess. And then what's interesting in this, I'll say um, Bumblebee is kind of like his introduction to, he's not he's not on either side. He's just kind of like this, this scavenger yeah. that just does odd jobs to earn money, whatever kind of currency they have. Yeah. And um, I noticed that the, as far as the voice acting, you don't have the original Optimus or Megatron, but I think they did a pretty That's... decent job. Like Megatron was kind of took some getting used to because I was, you know, I was like, uh, but after a while it was fine. And then Optimus Prime, you know, I could tell like something was weird, and I looked it up like it's not the original actor, but I think yeah. they did a decent job. I don't think they used Peter Cullen for uh, for the Bumblebee movie either for Optimus. I don't think they used him for that either. Um, I don't know. I'm going to sure. go look it up now. I'm going to go look it up now. <laughs> it may have been in that, but this one, you know, I looked up, looked his age. He like, he's like in the 80s, his 80s. He's like he's pushing age-wise. So, um, although I did read that he was wanting to do at least a, a solo Optimus Prime movie, so maybe that's still something that could help happen before yeah. he goes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's different. It's kind of like now, like the Decepticons and Autobots are like Democrats and Republicans. Republicans yeah. and nobody, some people not want to take sides. Some had chosen a side, and then now they're kind of struggling with that decision because they're seeing things not as what they signed up for. Gotcha. And as far as the animation or the overall, it reminded me of the opening of Bumblebee, where that first five minutes, they're on Cybertron and everything was just, uh, then they go to Earth and you have humans. Yeah. So... But this is just solely focusing on them, their struggles, and just, you know, Optimus is trying to save everyone. But, of course, Negatron being evil, his form of freedom may be a little more detrimental to a large portion of the population. Right. <laughs> so, and a, a Starscream sounds like normal Starscream, just normal, mm-hmm. you know, annoying, thorn in the side. But... <laughs> But it's definitely worth definitely worth checking out, worth watching. York may may enjoy it too. 
Yeah. Because I, um, I haven't watched it yet. Um, and for other people that are fans, um, he's not that old. I mean, he was born in 1941. Sorry, I'm looking at Peter Cullen. Um, he was born in 41, so he's only like eight years older. Well, I guess he is almost. Yeah, he'll be, he's 79. Yeah, so he's, he's getting up there. Yeah. Like, they're going like, to do a solo. I was, like, that, I was like, oh, he's not that old. He's only like eight years older than my mom. Then I'm like, oh, no, my mom's getting up there. Uh, <laughs> Whoopsie. But, um, yeah, but the guy yeah. doing the voice for Optimus, I think it was passable. It was decent. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he was in Bubblebee. Or he did voice Optimus in Bubblebee. Um, is it the – is the – is the animation as far as – who they turn into, like their vehicle, their whatever vehicles, is it done in the same sp- style as the original? It's or is it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty spot on. You know, Optimus doesn't have his trailer, but when he transformed, he's still right. his normal truck. You I know, mean, like Bumblebee, you know, because in the movies, they freaking transformed it that's, into damn that's the only one. Or Camaro. Interesting. That's the only one that doesn't transform. <laughs> but it does yeah. look like Being he has the body like, of a beetle. Yeah. It does look like he's. Pretty much the beetle, even though he doesn't transform, so you don't see it. But he does appear to be the original, like at least more in tune with the original okay. than what they did with the current stuff. Okay, because you know, because the the one one of the good things about the Bumblebee movie itself is that it is that the all well, actually the heroes and the villains all were more true to the original, you know. Uh, I guess source material, whatever you want to call it, but you know, yeah. between the comics and the and the original TV show from the '80s, um, whereas the Michael Bay movies, uh, not so much. They tried to update it, and it just was kind of a mess. <clears throat> like outside or, of the first Transformers movie, which I, you know, it's not great, but it's out of everything they've made, that was the best. <laughs> and then Bumblebee, it's the best so. of all of them. And even the second one is not the worst. They gradually got worse the more the it's more it went on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But okay. hmm, yeah. but yet my dumbass doesn't actually I kinda like the third one. I can't really say anything. The one That's where Winter Nimoy played the bad guy. But then again, I once saw that in theater in three D. Yeah, like yeah. on purpose saw it in three D because I figured that'd be the only way it could be kinda hold my interest. Yeah, um right. But yeah, oof, those movies. <clears throat> well, good. Um, I can't yeah. wait to watch it. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. But um, yeah, maybe York will try and watch it. I'll try and get him to watch at least an episode. And if he doesn't like it, that's fine. I've already tried to get him to watch an episode of the old school GI Joe, and he is like not into it. Which, mm-hmm. You know, that's fine. Yeah, that's this fine. one. This, I'm this not one, This one's a little. I it's darker in a way, but it's yeah. not. You know, it's fantasy violence. Right, so, exactly. Because it's robots. Lasers, <laughs> yeah, robots and lasers and shit. Yeah, yeah. But I like it. It's just, I was like, finally, something good with with Transformers since Bumblebee. You know, Bumblebee right. was great. This is good. Yeah. Let's keep it, keep going yeah. up. I just hope they don't mess the next two parts. I know, right? Yeah. Well, don't have Michael Bay attached and you'll be fine. Exactly. <laughs> but that could be, that could really be true for about any movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good I mean, lesson not only for transformers but in life that's like if he's going to be involved he needs to be in a certain part don't have anything to do with the story the plot mm-hmm. if you want someone to direct your action cool let's let him do that the effects that's 
that's that's his bread and butter is VFX. Let him do yeah, that. Let him do that. Somebody else handle everything else. Yep. Indeed. Um. All right, man. I think that's it for me. <clears throat> all right. Um. Man, do I have a lot. <laughs> I mean, I've got three movies, but for once, I actually have a decent amount to say about. Well, definitely the last one. Yeah. Um. But so the, I've I've actually watched about four movies. Um, I talked last week. I'd watched the King of Staten Island, and I was going to talk about it this week. And so I kind of was like, well, now I kind of have to because <laughs> I watched some other stuff. I kind of wanted to talk about too, but then I'm like, I already said I talk about this one, so I'm gonna go ahead and do it. Um. So yeah, uh, King of Staten Island. Uh, it's the uh, Judd Apatow-directed movie starring Pete Davidson um, as the lead. Uh, he plays Scott, who uh, he's kind of uh, had a case of arrested development ever since his ever since his firefighter firefighter father. Wow, that's a good tongue twister. His dad <laughs> uh, died when he was seven. He's now reached his mid twenties, having achieved little, chasing a dream of becoming a tattoo artist. That seems far out of reach. Um, his ambitious younger sister heads off to college, uh, played by um, Maud Apatow, Judd Apatow, and um, Leslie Mann's. Leslie Mann? Yeah. Um, their daughter. And uh, <clears throat> uh, so Scott is still living with his, with his uh, mom, who is played by Marissa Tomei, who I did not recognize. Like, really? who the hell's his mom? Yeah, I, didn't, I was like, who the hell's his mom? Like, um, but they made a, they did a good job because she plays a, and um, she plays a nurse that works in the ER, and she works all the time, so she looks. They did a good job making her look really exhausted, kind of tired. Yeah. All the time, you know, just worn out. Um, and Scott spends most of his days smoking weed, hanging out with his buddies, um, Oscar, Igor, and Richie. Um, and then secretly hooking up with his childhood friend, Kelsey. Um, but when his mother starts dating a loudmouth firefighter named Ray, played by comedian Bill Burr, um, it sets off a chain of events that will, you know, that kind of forces Scott to kind of grapple with his grief and take his first tentative step toward moving forward in life. Um, I really enjoyed this movie. It's, it's good to see Pete Davidson actually have to act, but at the same time, it also it, it's also kind of like semi autobiographical, um, because uh, you know it because well one it, he co-wrote it with Judd Apatow and uh, David Sirius, who I don't know how much credit he gets or how much he wrote, but. Uh, Obviously, um, anybody that really knows Pete Davidson or always knows his story other than the fact he's on Saturday Night Live and has had addiction problems, uh, drug addiction problems, and dealing with depression. Um, Pete Davidson's father was a firefighter who died in the line of duty. Uh, his name was Scott. Um, so Scott Davidson's unit, Lighter Company 118 in Brooklyn Heights, uh, responded to the call to the World Trade Center after the terrorist attacks on September 11. They were rescuing people in the Marriott uh, World Trade Center hotel 
when the tower collapsed down the building, uh, Pete was seven. Much like in the movie. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like the role was kind of made for him, obviously. Um, so they, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> so it's kind of like casting Tony Stark to play, or casting Robert Downey Jr. to play Tony Stark. Because, yes. you know, it's very easy because he has a lot of, uh, <laughs> he has a, you know, he's seems to have come across that way, you know, in his younger days yeah. and having to battle addiction and different things and kind of being that, that dude. Um, so just like he was kind of born to play that, Pete Davidson was obviously born to play this role. Granted, he wrote it, so he co-wrote it, so kind of helped. Mold, I don't want to say mold it, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, he was able to obviously make it his own because he, you know, part of part of the creative process. Um, but even with that, you can see how much care, love and care was put into this film being made. Not only by him, but by Apatow too. Right. And so, when the casting was done really well and smart, I mean, uh, I like that they got Marissa Tomei um, to play his mom. And I like that they got uh, Bill Bird to kind of be the, to kind of be the dude that, <laughs> that is dating his mom. Cause he's, he could be, if you've ever watched any of his stand up, he could be come across as kind of an asshole. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, you know, to slap a mustache on him. And he, yeah, he looks like a guy that would <laughs> right. you know, that could play that role. Um, also, Steve Buscemi is in it. He plays one of the guys that works at the firehouse. Um, for listeners and for people that don't um, know st- much about Steve Buscemi's past, he was a New York City firefighter before he became an actor. Uh, so he uh, he was part of Engine 55 in Manhattan's Little Italy uh, for four years in the early 1980s. He took acting classes after about a year on the job and stayed with the uh, fire department while acting in plays and movies. Uh, Buscemi quit uh, firefighting in 1984 to pursue his acting full-time. After the terrorist attacks on September 11, he returned to do, he returned to his old fire station to help search for survivors in the rubble of the World Trade Center. So, that's pretty cool. Uh, Little little, uh, trivia there. Um, I kind of already knew all that, or I knew a lot of that, I guess I should say, but um, I thought that was awesome because they were able to help get kind of his perspective as to what goes on at a firehouse, you know. Right. Um, and then, uh, but yeah, it, it was done really well. It there, It's got a lot of heart. It's got a lot of, um, it, a lot of humor. It's, what I would classify this, if you want to classify it as something, as a dramedy, I guess is a good way. It's a drama, but it's also a comedy. Because he, you know, because he still, he does a lot of stupid shit. But, and you you do find it at times hard for to root for him, because he's, he's a protagonist, but he's a protagonist that's being a dumbass. So you right. kind of, you're like, come on, dude, get your shit together. You know, we yeah. understand you're going through all these things. You have people that are wanting to help, you know, just um, help yourself. But, yeah. 
So basically him and Bill Burr's character Ray form a bond, um, having to form a bond after basically hating each other for a good part of the movie. Yeah. Uh, Ray needs thinks he needs to get a real job and move out of the house. Um, cause you know, they, and Pete doesn't want him dating his mom cause he's still not over his dad's death. Some, you know, 20, you know, almost 20 years later. Yeah. So he's, you know, trying to deal with that. And then basically she kicks both of them out of, you know, his mom kicks both of them out of the house, you know, at one point and he has nowhere else to stay. So he ends up asking if he could stay at the firehouse. Yeah. And then he starts, they make him earn his keep there because you're not staying there for free. So then they form a, you know, and then everybody there kind of picks on him and everything to kind of showing the camaraderie and everything. And then he starts kind of working there and then kind of deciding to, you know, actually get, get his life together. And they kind of help him out. You know, the guys at the firehouse kind of help, help him with that. Yeah. And, uh, it's it's good. It's really good. I would I definitely recommend it, even if you're not a Pete Davidson fan, which I'm not a huge fan, but I you know I'll watch him. Um, but this is a pretty enjoyable movie. Um, it is rated R. It's two hours sixteen minutes. Um, kind of. I mean, it seems a little long, but I mean they could probably turn ten minutes. But I wouldn't. But I don't know where from because it right. all works. You know, it all works. Um. So the person that plays Pete Davidson's grandfather in the movie also is his actual grandfather. So that's kind of cool. Um, let's see. So in the movie ends with uh, the Kid Cudi song, Pursuit of Happiness, um, in which uh, Pete Davidson has said that the uh, music of Kid Cudi saved his life as Davidson has struggled with suicidal thoughts. So, Yeah. Hmm. I just know Kid Cudi to be kind of a douche, but that's just my yeah. personal experience with him. I mean, uh, a lot of the songs we kind of touch on it. Yeah, he uh, yeah. he played uh, he played Rights of Spring at Bandy and did not yeah. have I did not have an encounter with him. <laughs> and so, and he's it's like surprising. Yeah, he's, he's, he's like he's buddies with Kanye, so <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, he's got that whole you can't look at him when he walks on the stage thing. I don't yeah. like. I just, I literally, I was told that, and then I literally laughed in that person's face. <laughs> I said, "That's cute." No, like yeah. people want certain M and M's or Skittles in their bowl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, on their rider, their rider contracts. I'm like, "Yeah, bro, that ain't happening." And he shows up late, of course, and then he's like five four and like ninety pounds dripping wet. Yeah, I'm like, bro, I I can blow hard and then push <laughs> in and you'd fall off the stage. Whatever, dude. Whatever. <laughs> Not impressed. Anyways, but I'm glad that worked for Pete Davidson, though. So, yeah, whatever, you know, what works for one made, you know, whatever keeps him away from doing that, I'm all for. All right, let's see here. So that's the uh, King of Staten Island. You can find that on on iTunes, Prime, um, via anywhere you can rent on demand right now. The one I do want to talk about is a movie called Relic. Uh I uh, I watched that the other night. Yeah, this movie's scary, <laughs> but it's the kind of scary that I like though. It's that build the suspense, don't don't um, don't rely on slash 
slasher type gore and stuff like that to right. make the movie scary. Um, use suspense, build it up. It in a way, if if I had to think of a movie that kind of was similar, um, the others, as far as like ghost, kind of like a ghost story type of thing, the way it just kind of built the suspense up and uh, and used, but you know, kind of just at a slow pace, kind of build that suspense and that drama and uh, yeah. So, uh, Relic stars Emily Mortimer. Um, she's been in a bunch of movies. I uh, one of my favorite roles of hers is in a TV show or an HBO show called The Newsroom. She's amazing in that, and she was in a, another HBO show called Doll and M, which was good. Um, but uh, everybody else, I mean, that's really about the only name you'll recognize in this movie. Uh, it's a so relic is about a daughter, a mother, and a grandmother that are haunted by a manifestation of dementia that consumes their family's home. So uh, basically, Emily Mortimer's character Kay and her daughter Sam, played played by Bella Heathcote, um, go and check on their. I guess it'd be. Kay's mother, Sam's grandmother, uh, Edna, played by Robin Nevin, who they hadn't, they'd been trying to contact and couldn't get a hold of her, and then finds out she had, she's gone missing. She was gone for, she's gone for three days, and nobody's been able to find her. And then all of a sudden, one day, she's in the kitchen making breakfast. But she can't, you know, she keeps being asked where she's been, and she'd never really answers kind of mutters and stuff goes to her room and then is sitting in the corner talking to herself believed to be talking to herself talking to somebody yeah yeah um and then uh it's a haunted house movie i mean it's a it's a haunted house movie with but the central theme of the movie is grief and how each character deals with grief um, with the grandmother dealing with the grief of losing herself and her memories, mm-hmm. um, the grief of the mother, you know, of Kay and Sam not having their grandmother being the person that they know her to be, but trying to cling on to that person um, because she will just snap, like the grandmother will just. You know, be talking, and then all of a sudden we'll just snap and not be herself. Which, as someone whose uh, grandfather had dementia before he, you know, he suffered for that, you know, for about six months before he passed, and had the only time I've ever had him snap at me for anything in 42 years was when he was having a, an episode and he snapped at me yeah. twice. So I know that kind of feeling of, wow, it's not the person I know. And how terrifying that could be to lose yourself or lose the person you know. So this movie deals with that, but they also have to deal with things that are going on inside the house. And just sounds, things occurring. Um, It shows snippets of basically her, I guess it would be Kay's great-grandfather that lived in this other cabin. Mm -hmm. And had gone, you know, people, you know, showing through flashbacks of 
people forgetting about him and then going to check on him and he was essentially what they call it um he had already passed and had uh not petrified because that's harry potter stuff (laughs) but i mean he was i forgot what the word is anyways um like his corpse had already decayed i guess is a good way to put it and so the manifestation from there and they had and he had this stained glass window in his house or in his cabin and they took the stained glass uh window and moved it to the grandmother's house and that's the relic you know okay and so now this manifestation is now latched onto her the grandmother and so it's very interesting and i had to i read this article on and i'll posted um I'll post it on our pay on our group page. Please do not read it unless you want spoilers, or um, until or if you're planning on watching this, which I do recommend people watch this because this movie is scary and it's creepy as hell, um, and it's very very well done, and all the allegories dealing with grief and dealing with uh, loss are, uh, are really well done, and how they how they uh, transfer that from script onto film um but do not read that article that i post until unless you want spoilers before watching it or read it after it'll help explain the ending and once i read that article it made so much more sense i thought it was creepy as creepy as hell watching it watching it like what the fuck is going on here right i was like oh this is gonna be hard to you know i was like oh this is hard to watch (laughs) but it's once it's explained i'm like Okay, that one, it makes more sense. Two, that's actually kind of beautiful now. <laughs> it's like, oh my god. Uh, but it is, but it is, it is so good. Um, it was directed by first-time director Natalie Erica James, who is half Japanese, half Australian. So, or she's of Japanese-Australian descent. There we go. I guess is the way to put it. Um, so she takes a lot of things with how. They deal with grief in from her Jap, in, Jap, in Japan, and they try to and she tries to take take those traditions and how they deal with grief and how they deal with uh, the loss of a family member and um, adapt it to this film, you know, and kind of transform it into this film. And it's very interesting. It's and like I said, this movie will. It's not like jump scare stuff. It's like legit creepy shit, like right. your good haunted house stuff. I yeah, and you know me, I'm not much of a horror movie person, but I I really enjoyed this one. I was like, I was like, holy shit! And Ruth's like, what are you watching? I'm like, that's like something you're never gonna watch. Don't worry. About. <laughs> I said, and I said, I said, but it's creepy as I said, it's creepy as hell though. She goes, yep, not watching it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it did have a little bit of an opening weekend. Uh, 192,352 dollars. Uh, so uh, so far the gross is nine nine hundred ninety-three thousand seventy-seven dollars worldwide, 1.62 million. Um, mind you, it's only been out like a week. Right. Unless it's opened on demand or possibly in theaters um, overseas, but or I might have been released drive-in. A lot of them are getting released drive-in too. Um, yeah um if you want a good scare watch this movie for sure um i've posted the trailer for it 
that should do it. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, that was it, a good trailer. Yeah, yeah. It's done really well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I'm going to take a drink before we get into this last <laughs> one. <sighs> drink of water. Yay. <laughs> also, so, side note, Ruth and I started watching the Zach Efron show, uh, Down to Earth, on Netflix. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's actually really good. We've only watched two episodes. But first one, him and this other guy traveled to Iceland. And they were in all, they tried different foods and uh, things. And then they go to these different places and how they are basically using their natural resources to produce energy and stuff like that. Because it's a very cold, but also very hot because they got a lot of volcanoes, apparently. Hmm. So they actually cook using like the ground that they walk on. It's like so hot. You can actually shovel some sho- shovel some of the ground up. And um, and cook like this one dude's like baking bread like in this canister thing and then then just put the ground on top and then uh, 24 hours later they go back and the bread's oh. made very spongy and moist for people that hate that word um, <laughs> and it's apparently really good they were like cooking eggs and this water is like boiling like wow. ridiculously hot anyways and then showing these different springs and then how they're using the the ground, uh, the steam from the from the ground, to harness it, and then it's responsible for like seventy five percent of the con- the entire country's energies. Like it's ridiculous. It's like they are so far ahead. Yeah. On clean energy, it's yeah, it's ridiculous. Anyway, and they went to a chocolatier and got to make their own chocolate and everything. Um, it's actually really good. And then they went to France and they, well, before they went to France, they went to some bougie restaurant in LA where they, I kid you not, um, where they, uh, where they have a, uh, what's the word? A, a water sommelier. So, you know, and usually you have wine ones. This guy's right. A, basically he, he deals with bougie water, <laughs> but he talks about like, but he explains everything. And basically, if your water that you buy and bottle, like bottled water is crap, and um, which I think most people already know anyways, um, basically tap water, but they add some things. Basically, if it says uh, distilled or purified, <laughs> it's not good water. I'm like looking at my core hydration one, it says, and it says purified. I'm like, shit. <laughs> I was like, but he's like showing all these like different bougie waters from different countries and everything. Yeah, and they're having like this taste and this water tasting and how they taste different. I found that interesting. They did have Fuji water there, which is what I actually used to drink. And uh, I was like, damn, I might have to go back to that. And, uh, um, if that's one that's okay. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, damn. Here I thought it was doing well. I mean, I'm still doing better because I still haven't had a soda since shit, February 28th of last year. So I guess still doing good there. All right. Meanwhile, back on the podcast. Uh, So, yeah. So, Relic, scary movie. So, uh, this is how I'm going to segue to another scary movie I watched. (laughs) But a different kind of scary. (laughs) Excuse me. So, I'm going to preface, before I talk about this movie, I'm going to preface this with... Our podcast, we try not to get political on the podcast because 
that's a different kind of podcast. We try and keep our views strictly towards movies because movies are are an escape from everyday life, and that's what we like talking about. That's, um, you know, why we watch movies is for an escape, unless you're watching a documentary, <laughs> which is still a form of escape, but it's also kind of an education tool right. at the same time. That's how they get you. So I've watched this movie four times now, four times, and still think it's going to be hard for me to talk about. Um, so I watched the movie The Great Hack, which is a documentary from last year. It, you know, was nominated for for a BAFTA, didn't win, which sucked. Should have won and won Academy Award and Golden Globe, but it wasn't nominated for those two. Don't know why. Fantastic film. This movie will will talk about, you know, this movie does discuss the 2016 election, but it also talks about Brexit. We are not trying to, the point of the movie is not to talk about the, either the validity or of the 2016 election. We're not going to try and talk about whether we agree or whether we disagree. We are talking about the movie one as a movie and more importantly, how the central theme of the movie is about data mining and how your personal data is being collected and how you pretty much give up a lot of privacy without actually realizing you're doing it. And about this one person's conquest, I guess you could say, to try and get his try and get his data back returned to him. Right. So that's what we're going to be talking about now if anybody has seen the tv show the wire and knows that there's a ton of characters in that show and that you get very confused if you're like me and on the dvds where they actually have character maps to show you who's who yeah this is going to kind of be like that because there are several important people that are there's three main focus people in the documentary that they follow but there's a lot of people that are involved. I'm going to do my best to try and not confuse you too much. Again, the, I think the fact that I've seen this movie four times now, I watched it three times. I, went, um, I think on my second viewing, I was going to try and talk about it, and then I never did. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm like, I'm not going to be able to do this. Because I'm like, there's just so much information. I don't know how to accurately describe it and talk about it without going missing something or feel like I'm missing something. So what I want to do is kind of give the general gist and then kind of do what I would like, what I would consider a deep dive. Um, considering I've done seven pages of notes on my fourth viewing yesterday. Um, I was telling, you know, Ruth and Grace on both. I said, I felt like I was in college again, taking notes because I'm like pausing the movie, writing stuff down, going back because I thought I missed something. Going yeah, back to, yeah. you know, and then again, my, the movie that is, I think, right at two hours, maybe a few minutes under, um, oh, I wrote it down. Um, I wrote everything down but the time. Huh. How about that? Um, there we go. Um, it is one hour, 54 minutes. So, yeah, it's six minutes shy of two hours. 
it probably took me two hours to actually took me over two hours because I had to keep pausing it for one reason or another. Yeah. Um, apparently during the watching during the viewing of this um, yesterday, Grayson needed everything from me. <laughs> like, all right. So I'm trying to do as much as I can, and I don't. I'm not trying to trying to do that, but I'm also trying to spend time with her. So I'm. Um, but anyways. Uh, so I watched the movie again for the fourth time. It's directed by uh, Karim Amer and Jahane Novajain. If I guarantee to butchered it, it's you looking on IMDb. Um, so the it was nominated for um, it was nominated for best documentary for an, uh, in the Emmys. It was nominated um, for a BAFTA for Best Documentary. Um, it was nominated and won for the Cinema Eye Honors Award uh, for graphic, graphics design within the film, which is, I was like, oh, yeah, no, that's definitely, because it's really cool how they do some of the graphics and different things, um, showing text messages, showing different uh, things like your transact, like, like it's in the trailer where they show him, like, going and buying a coffee and then showing showing his transaction pop up in a bubble and then other people in the cafe you know on facebook hitting the like on a picture and um doing like a yelp review and stuff like that and having it pop up and it's showing however but how everything we do is now you know everything we post everything is being collected and uh then uh it was also nominated for uh creative recognition for writing as well <clears throat> so the main focus or three main characters i guess i could you could say of this documentary are Brittany kaiser who um, is a whistleblower that worked for cambridge analytica and um she um she was an executive she was like she was so high up like she had a key to steve bannon's townhouse in new york she spoke at CPAC with Kellyanne Conway. Um, she spent election night with uh, Trump mega-donor Rebecca Mercer. Um, she worked on Weave.eu for uh, Brexit. Um, before, But before she worked for Cambridge Analytica, um, she worked with Obama and worked on uh, basically his social media, you know, it's, you know helping get, make his social media platform uh, run then after that she worked on she worked mainly on human rights which is what she's always wanted to do is work on human rights and restore rights back to those that have lost them um, and especially those on other countries uh, when she was working on uh, human rights with the democrats uh, that's when she met alexander nix who is uh, the ceo of cambridge analytica and then joined the company in 2014. And then, let's see here. Let me make sense of my notes. So it follows Brittany's basic, uh, it follows her. It shows her in an undisclosed place in Taiwan because she's, because obviously people want to try and, you know, um, quiet her, I guess is a good way to put it, in her voice because she's going against uh, the company she's speaking out, she has all this damning information about Cambridge Analytica and about data mining. Um, 
and the role that they played on with Facebook in having 87 million people's data stolen and used against them, I guess, is or stolen. Um, I don't want to say used against them, but it, but their private information, 87 million people on Facebook. Probably you, probably me. Yeah. Who else? I mean, you don't know because they don't, because Facebook still is yet to come forward with whose data has been um, compromised. That's a good word. Yeah. Um, our second person that uh, we follow is David Carroll, who's an uh, associate professor at the Parsons School. Um, so basically, one of the questions he wants to ask is, you know, how did the dream of the connected world end up tearing us apart? So that's one of the questions that's asked in the film. Who was who was feeding us fear, and how? Um, so Project Alamo um, was spending a million dollars a day on Facebook ads during the uh, during the 2016 election. And working with the Trump campaign, Cambridge Analytica uh, also worked with Project Alamo. And that's and then just buying ads, putting disinformation, trying to get you know they'll put those surveys out. Um, right. Kind of like a which friends, you know, character are you? You know, are you a Ross, Rachel, or whatever, um, or Chandler? Stuff like that. Well, every one of those that you do, that's that's referred to as a data point, and that's being collected. You know, stuff like that. What are you, you know? Because it asks you, you know, do you like eating this? Do you like eating? Are you organized? Less organized? Do you win more this way? Win more that way? You know, on, on your views and different uh, traits. Yeah. So that they say that every person has. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> I knew this was going to happen because again, this is difficult to try and discuss. Um, so there's also. So he basically is suing Cambridge Analytica because he wants to get his data back, like his personal data. He wants his identity essentially yeah. returned. And it's about this lawsuit that he's having to go through to try and get his get his his personal data returned back to him. But if you think about every time you you submit a uh, an app, like anytime you know you have an app or or a website says you know sign in using Facebook, yeah, or Google or something like that, they're taking that data, your data. And anytime you do one of those app things, they can take your data and then go onto your friends and take their data without knowing it. And that's how they got, that's how Facebook got hacked. Right. Yeah. And having 87 million people. So when you think about it, you're not just compromising yourself, you're compromising you your friends and family, yeah. your friends and family. So that's a little eye opening <laughs> and a little scary to think about. Um, so, uh, let's see. So, yeah, so David Carroll sues um, Cambridge Analytica slash SCL, which um, SCL uh, originally, before it, you know, worked on collecting people's data, 
um, used to be worked as a military def, um, worked in as a uh, worked in military defense information warfare. So by so if you remember seeing like like even just Afghanistan and Iraq, you know, whenever they drop leaflets mm-hmm. saying you know we're not the enemy, stuff like that, all those pamphlets trying to get people to kind of help you know, uh, trust, you know, build trust in us and others. That's information. That's the kind of thing they're talking about. Information warfare like that. Okay. Um, they did a campaign, a campaign in, uh, Trinidad and Tobago. That's the two, um, to basically suppress voters, basically to tell them not to vote through this information warfare. So it's, yeah, it's very interesting. And so Carol Sue's Cambridge Analytica slash SCL in the UK. So he has to go overseas to fight this fight. Um, what he wants to know is where did they where did they get the data? How did they process it? Who did they share it with? And do we have a right to opt out? You know, because data rights, basically he's saying data rights are human rights because they are our, you know, it's our data. Right. So we should be, we should be able to decide how it gets used and who gets to use it. True. So it's one of those things where you really should actually look at terms of service instead of just hitting okay and moving on. Yeah. Actually read <laughs> That's, it. Actually read it and see what it says because you may be giving away your your rights, you know, for them to collect, you know, all this information. Anytime you hit like on a news article, they build that profile. Anytime you, whether it's, or even just comics and stuff like that. Because yeah. if you ever wonder why the ads target you on Facebook, you know, like, well, I feel like they're listening in. It's because you're hitting the likes on all these different things and they can, I guess, use their algorithms and shit. That's math stuff that I can't explain as much. But they use that to build your, essentially, your personality, your behavior. And they can start tracking your behavior and see what you're looking at. And and that's how they get their ads that pop up. The weirdest thing, though, there was one time I was literally just thinking something. Went on Facebook and something popped up related to it. I'm like, I haven't commented on anything, haven't spoken to anybody. It was just a thought. Yeah. And then it was there. Like an ad related to something. I was like, all right, that's creepy. Yep. It is. It's very creepy. Um, our third person is Carol Cadwallader, uh, um, and she's been ex- she's an investigative reporter. She used to just write features, mm-hmm. um, but she's been investigating Brexit for years. I actually posted a video. I think I just posted on my page. I didn't post it on ours. Uh, she's done two different TED talks about it, and then the vid- at the end of the movie, they actually talk about. They actually show a snippet of her TED talk before the movie ends. Um, she got in contact with um, Andy Wigmore, who um, who works along with uh, Nigel Farage. Um, Nigel Farage is friends with Steve Bannon. Um, there's pictures of them, you know, chumming it up um, after the election, you know, at the White House with the president and everything. And what uh, and Andy had. Andy Wigmore had told Carol that um, 
Carol Cadwallader, um, because there's David Carroll and Carol Cad. It's yeah, spelled different. Yeah, <laughs> spelled differently too. Yeah. Um, okay. Anyways, uh, he basically says they use uh, artificial artificial intelligence and data mining um, details from Facebook to, I guess, try help influence people to. You know, as far as like uh, what kind of news articles and what kind of disinf- um, what kind of disinformation they want to put out, um, just like flat out told her <laughs> that's what they do. I was like, well, uh, okay, so, um, all right. Um, so if there is a villain, <laughs> I mean, there is. Um, I guess our weed villain in in this whole story. It is um, <clears throat> Alexander Nix, who, again, is the uh, CEO of Cambridge Analytica. He says that they use four to 5,000 data points for, um, to predict personality that drives behavior and, <clears throat> and behavior that influences how you vote. They can then use the uh, they then uh, use video to to high target and influence people. So that's how they kind of would make uh, like if they know your we'll just say to, so we can say non-political. Let's just say you're um, you prefer Marvel movies over DC movies. They would take they would basically take clips of DC movies and show how they uh, how much better Marvel is than DC, even if information may be construed, you know, because it's all opinion. Right. Uh, whether whether it's like they basically in order to make this movie, they had they used child labor, you know, I guess, or something like that right. to make this movie. Whereas Marvel is pro union, has all these people that are SAG after workers and everything. Whereas DC uses non you know union workers, which is against, you know, the workers rights and all this other, you know, just to make them sound worse than what they really are. Yeah. And and they'll put pump more of that in your feed because they'll pay for that kind of revenue. You know, they'll pay for that kind of advertising to have that pop up and influence yeah. people that are high, more high target and more in, or more susceptible to influence, I guess is a good way to put it. Yeah. So that's what they were doing with 2016 election, you know, on their end was that they would take the person that, you know, the, they would take those uh, data points and the behavior and, you know, showing that, what because every time you hit a like or something that's going out there that's collected and that's going and especially if you're taking like little surveys you know that's gonna you know help influence that so you're gonna get those those videos to match your feed and to help influence so yeah it's a it's a yeah very crazy very very crazy very scary um Trying to see where I'm at here, cause, see what I've come because I've got disjointed thing of notes. I wish I, it was more organized, but uh, hard to do. Um, so David Carroll's lawyer, um, Ravi Nayak, uh, basically his argument too is that data rights should be considered just fundamental rights, simple rights. It's a human rights thing. Um. Do, 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 do. I'm trying to think what else I need to talk about. They also had another whistleblower, um, 
that worked for Cambridge Analytica that talked about basically exactly what they were doing. And that um, his name is Christopher Wiley. He's got in the movie and most articles and pictures you'll see him have like bright pink hair. Um, he's a he helped set up Cambridge Analytica. He's he refers to himself as a data scientist. Um, he said it was a full service propaganda machine um, that data harvested persons uh, using an app on Facebook, on Facebook as well as all of the people on their friends list. That's where I got that from. Without those people's consent. Um, so yeah, scary stuff. I'm trying to do do do. But yeah, Cambridge Analytica has said that they use 5,000 data points on every American. There's probably at least 5,000 data points on every American. So, awesome. Um, getting down towards the end. Um, so, it as it follows, it shows the, uh, the hearing that Facebook had in the House um, a couple years back. Yeah. And it shows her watching that. It shows Brittany Kaiser watching the, excuse me, the Facebook uh, hearing, and it also shows David Carroll watching it as well, and watching Zuckerberg not emote um, and pretty much try and claim stupidity, more or less, that he yeah. doesn't know what's going on and doesn't know, well, we don't do that. We're trying, you know, we're trying to protect people's rights and well, apparently not. If you're allowing 87 million people to get their their uh, their information hacked from your system, exactly. And it wouldn't actually clearly talk about how how they make money, you know, like how they monetize. Yeah. Uh, through other other just general ad revenues, like well, it can't be that much, you know. And so, kind of dodges a lot of shit like there and played stupid, played stupid on it. Um, now. It did come out during this, too, that um, Carol Cadwallader actually reported on the fact that she found out that Brittany Kaiser had met with Julian Assange in February and that they had discussed the election um, and that she had once uh, donated money to WikiLeaks and that um, what she didn't, you know, what some people didn't know is that, oh, and that she also had been working with the Mueller investigation um or that the Mueller investigation had been talking with Brittany Kaiser regarding um, Cambridge Analytica, her role, and what all they did during the 2016 election. Yeah. Um, and because of the because of Facebook and other tech giants, it's hard to, you know, she believes that it's hard to have a fair election, and that was backed up also by other you know other people that in the documentary. Um, and that Russian's government is using fear and hate on Facebook to stoke divisive, you know, divisiveness, divisiveness. Anyways, um, Brittany Kaiser has gone on to um, she ended up testifying in, in front of a hearing, not in the U.S., but in the U.K. Um, and exposed a lot of what was going on. Christopher Wiley did the same thing. And then they brought in Alexander Nix to try and basically say that he you know, basically none of that's true or whatever. Right. Try to pull smoke up their ass. And, and unlike the U.S., the U.K. doesn't, they don't, uh, they're not, they don't try to be nice. I guess it's a good way to put it. It was like, no, you're not telling us the truth. <laughs> we've, you know, we've discovered otherwise. And, and if you're not going to answer, you know, you have to answer this question. You're not, 
look, we're not letting you off, more or less. Right. Excuse me. Um, so Brittany Kaiser is now running a campaign called uh, Hashtag Own Your Data, or Data, however you want to say it. Um, her, as well as David Carroll, are continuing to work towards data rights. Data rights equals human rights. Um, he, David Carroll did win his lawsuit, but he is yet to get, to get his, his uh, data rights back or his data back, retrieve his yeah. data um, that was taken from him. And Cambridge Analytica got in some shit and because of uh, um, because an undercover Channel 4 video showed um, was showing Nick's Channel 4 video in, not in the U.S. and in the U.K., uh, was showing Nick's admitting to and even boasting about harvesting data and sending um, sending girls to candidates' houses to try and, you know, basically catch them doing something so they can then use it. That mm-hmm. Channel 4 video ended up being Nix's downfall, and they ended up firing him for Cambridge Analytica, and then an investigation into Cambridge Analytica ended up having the company fold, so they are no longer mm-hmm. around. Not to say that some other company hasn't been formed and is not, not doing picking up where they left off. Yeah. Um, so that is the just some of what is going on in this movie. I highly recommend, no matter what your platform, no matter what your political belief is, or your, or you know, or what you're planning on doing when it comes to voting, it that is just a small part because the movie is about how your information is being collected by without your permission and how it's being pushed out and how Facebook is not your friend. <laughs> the people on there may be your friends. It is not your friend. Yeah. With that being said, please be sure you join our group. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh. I had to at least make it funny at the end. I was like, I was like, I'm going to be talking about how shitty Facebook is. And then I'm going to be, that's like, I need to at least lighten it up a little bit. Oh, I'll tell them to join the group. Cause that'll, yeah. that'll be funny. I'll lighten it up. Um, but seriously, just be careful. Um, with, you know, if you're like me and you're concerned how, especially if you're concerned about privacy. Yeah. And if you are, you know, if you are worried about, you know, well, I get to make my own choices. These, you know, I don't want someone telling me what I can and can't do. This is same thing, same wheelhouse. This is about your human rights, your your data, what is being talked about you. Um, the movie is very well done. It's it is uh, very well put together. They use cool um, like graphics and different things to help express uh, the points they're trying to get across. They use um, graphs and whatnot, which do help um, make you understand. There is there is a lot <laughs> going on, so it may take more than one viewing. I've watched uh, the Edward Snowden documentary from years back called Citizen Four. I've watched that numerous times, and I still don't feel like I'm like I still feel like I can pick up on something every time I watch it. Yeah. I even during that one year that I taught. I even made my students watch watch it. I don't know if they got as much out of it as I did um, or cared because they're high school, but I guarantee when they get older, they will. 
Um, maybe I'll talk about that one next week briefly. Not yeah. near as long. Um, definitely better than the actual Snowden movie with Jordan, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Not that that one's bad, but it's fine. I prefer the documentary. Um, but yeah, uh, great hack. I can't recommend this movie enough. I know when we talked about our, our best worst of 2019, this made my best list. And this is also one of my Oscar snubs. But um, I believe the subject matter is important, especially as as we are nearing the election and as we go through, as we are you know, going through this time period of the coronavirus, that there's also a lot of disinformation being put out and that it's very important for everybody to get a well-rounded um, knowledge about what's going on and not just stick with what you normally read. Go out there, try and find different articles. Definitely, for God's sake, find scientific articles yeah. um, instead of just stuff that shows up on your feed. So that'll be my only recommendation and or wish. Yeah. <laughs> Stay well informed by checking out various different sources, preferably reputable and scientific ones when it comes to science. All right. Uh, all right, man. I got through it somehow. <laughs> I don't even know how well that turned out. Um, but I did my best. Um, you can also follow David David Carroll um, and Carol Kedwallader on on the Twitter. Um, I do because I like to know more about how you know how the subject of um, data collecting and data rights is going, and try and stay on top of it. Um, Brittany Kaiser does not have a Twitter, but she has the hashtag, you know, own your data. So, um, but yeah, um, definitely recommend it. Trailers, uh, Honest Thief, which is the new Liam Neeson Taken movie, the latest Liam Neeson Taken movie. Yeah. You know, one of those, he's old, he's trying to get out of, he's trying to get out of, uh, Trying to get out of it, but they keep pulling them back in, type of thing. Yeah, yeah. One of those things. You know, William Neeson movies now for the past twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> um, After we collided is a new romantic movie, um, kind of a teen romantic movie. So that one's out, and then Cajillionaire, which is an independent film, um, looks cute about a family that more or less grifts <laughs> to to make ends meet, and um, about their daughter trying to wanting to do more and have like a normal life um, played by ever Rachel Wood who most people probably know from Westworld she was one of my favorite early out movies called uh, Down in the Valley with Edward Norton it's kind of underrated good movie though and uh, man I'm winded I think that's all I got <laughs> all right um one thing I forgot to mention earlier was uh, this past Wednesday, my friend Derek had a movie watch party after I got to work. And yep. he was using the platform of Discord. And what I found interesting in this is that while you're watching the movie, well, basically with Discord, you can create a server. And from the server, you can just play a movie from whatever service you have. Or if you have a computer that plays Blu-rays or DVDs, you can play that. And then anybody that joins your Discord can watch basically it's you go live show the movie people that join in 
and it's pretty much like um, Netflix watch party yeah. and other things. But here, while you're watching a movie, you can actually talk. Oh. So like like as you're watching it, you can comment. Everybody yeah. else can give feedback. So I'm thinking like if we do another watch party, we got to try yeah. this course. Yeah. Okay. So I think it's a maximum of 10 people. But since COVID started, I think they bumped it up to like 50 that you can have at one time. So I don't know if we'll get that many. But uh, and I don't know if they still have it at that max yeah. level. We'll it might have went it. back down to ten, but um, we'll that'd be an interesting way to do it. Yep, I'll have to look yeah. into that. Definitely yeah. do that. Put that on the highly recommended list. Yes. <clears throat> so awesome, cool man. Um, let's see for next week. I know in two weeks we have a guest because I have it scheduled. Um, golly, yeah, two weeks. Um. Next week, I think I'm going to talk about. Um, I'm, I may do. I may do season four. Um, watch it again. I've, um, take notes. We'll see. Um, I'm going to try and talk about uh, the Sunlit Night, which is an independent film with Jenny Slate, um, Julian Anderson, David Paymer, and then I'm going to Alex Sharp, and then. Uh, Fridjov, Fridjov Sahim. Wow, that's going to be a name. I'm going to have to start working on that one. Um, so it's uh, about Jane Slate plays an aspiring painter from New York um, that travels um, travels to the farthest reaches of Arctic Norway for an assignment she hopes will invigorate her work and expand her horizons. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So there's there's some other shenanigans that go on, and I believe Zach Galifianakis is also in it. And then um, I'm gonna have to hold Ruth down to watch it, um, make her watch it one night. Uh, inmate number one, The Rise of Danny Trejo. It's a documentary, so try and watch that one also. And then lastly, we'll see. Well, no, I may I'll may say this one for later too. Uh, Extraordinary. Uh, Putting the normal in paranormal with Maeve Higgins, Barry Ward, Will Forte, Claudia O'Doherty. So it's about a person with powers that or that's gifted with supernatural abilities, um, who has a love-hate relationship with their talents, um, and tries to ignore a constant spirit-related requests from local from locals to exercise possessed rubbish bins in haunted gravel. Um, but basically. Uh, yeah, there's other stuff to go on, but it's it looks funny from okay. the trailer. I remember seeing the trailer. We'll see what happens. So those are probably what I'm watching. So we'll go from there. Cool. Not sure what I'll be watching, but I usually I'll figure it out. Okay, man. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Always up in the air. Yep, sounds like a plan, man. Yeah. Um. All right, man. Well, I know this one on went long i appreciate everybody that that uh stuck around um we had a lot to cover it you know and uh yeah man i guess that's it we will i guess see everybody next week all right next week it is